Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. Today, our topic is what not to say to a special needs parent. And I was just explaining to my guest before we hit record that the idea, the concept for this podcast came when I was on a a parent advisory committee for one of the local school districts. One of the moms, uh, Ashley, made the comment that, you know, there are some comments that people say to a special needs parent that actually become, actually teachers say it, as well as other parents say it, that can become kind of triggering. And so I thought, idea, light bulb moment, let's have a podcast and see what parents feel like are things that would better be not said to a parent of a child with autism or just even a child with special needs. So let's start with Tanya. Welcome, Tanya. It's been a little bit since I've seen you. It's like summer happened. I know, I've not seen I know. it's been busy this summer. So I know. Well, normally we sit on committees together and you podcast with me a lot. So I feel like I see you pretty regularly. So I feel like it's lovely to see your face. Um, so what about you when we talk about what not to say to a special needs parents? Are there any things that are said that you were just, it just makes your skin crawl or you just feel a little triggered. So I have two kids. I have an 11 year old and an eight year old and my 11 year old is on the spectrum. And one of the things that bothers me is my son is what you would consider probably higher functioning. He's extremely verbal, conversational is that he just needs more discipline. Like you can discipline the autism out of him. And no, it doesn't work that way. Just because he's verbal and you can talk to him, more discipline is actually going to increase the behaviors, not Help. Yes. I just did a radio uh, interview with Sunshine or Shine Radio, I should say Shine Radio a lot yesterday. And this was one of that was actually almost exactly word for word one of the things I was saying in my interview about how, you know, just some of the topics that we talk about on our podcast. One is dirty looks in public. Like people will offer you opinions or those side looks because they think that in some world, if you were a better disciplinarian, then all of a sudden your child's disability would go away and the behaviors would, would, you know, you know, leave the child. And unfortunately there's just no amount of, of reprimanding the child that's going to take their disability and some of the sensory issues that they're dealing with away. So I, I hear you on that one. So it's so funny that you just say that today on this podcast, because this was totally unplanned, but yesterday that was one of the things that I offered. So any other triggering things that you hear? Um, just well, a lot of people are very well-meaning, but they'll be, they offer like, you know, well, have you tried this? Have you tried like different diets, different things? I was like, well, it's very well-meaning, but at the same time, it's like, well, I, if I tried different diets, my child would eat probably nothing. <laughs> well, along that line, Tanya, I read an article, dot, dot, dot. And then all of a sudden, like now, because they read an article on the spokesman or the times, mm-hmm. on Facebook, all of a sudden, you know, oh my goodness, you know, you're right. Like it's interesting to me. Sometimes people are very well-meaning or there's something on NPO radio that, oh, I just listened to this, you know, incredible interview on NPO. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, a lot of those articles are just kind of educating the general public about prevalency, 
you know, educational challenges, things like that. And it's like, hi, I live that every single day of my life. So Mm -hmm. reading an article or listening to an interview on the radio, and then of course, you know, sending it to me, it's kind of like, trust me, I have read just about everything there is to read on autism. So anyway, that's also kind of, yeah, to follow that up like that. I read an article the other day on Facebook and then you're just kind of like, oh, okay. And now here's where the advice comes. So Mm -hmm. how wonderful. And the other thing, that's not really something that people always say, but there's like this assumption that because my child is verbal and conversational with an average IQ, that he just should not have the challenges that he has. And it's like this assumption that he should behave better than he does. And so when he has a meltdown in school, I get phone calls and he gets oftentimes suspended. But if a child who is more severely impacted by autism and not so verbal, like it's more acceptable for them to have those challenges and they get to still be able to stay in school. Yeah. Oh, there's this assumption that, you know, because my child can talk that he shouldn't have quite the the expectations for his behavior. They have this like expectation that he shouldn't have quite the challenges that he has. Yeah. Oh, I hear that too. Mm -hmm. Michelle, you are joining, you're becoming a regular face on this podcast. So I love it. So what about you? Is there any... You could just go on and you could write a book about this, I bet. Oh my God, yes. So back up a little bit. You also work, have worked in this field too. So you probably get it both as a professional and you're going to school to yeah. work in the field. And then of course, you're also a, a parent. Mm-hmm. So tell me what things kind of trigger you that get your... Yeah, there's a lot of different things. I, I do work with a lot of parents And they're like, is this normal? Is this normal? You know, they always ask me if it's normal that their child's doing something. And I'm like, you know, what's normal? You know, you can't just be like, uh, is it normal for an autistic kid to do this? Is normal? Like, okay, every kid's different, you know? So there's, I get those questions like, is this normal? You know, I'm like, back up, you know, this is your child and this is maybe normal for them. So we work on that. One of the things I get, you know, I'm sorry, you know, and you're like, you know, my child does autism. I'm sorry. You know, you get that response from people. It's like, oh my God. The like, I'm sorry I, is one that I don't think anyone, oh, I'm so sorry. Thanks. What do you respond to that? Thank yeah. you. I'm not, you know, like, honestly, I'm not sorry that I have an autistic child, you know, and then sometimes you'll get what's wrong with them. You know, they look normal, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, okay. But what does, I'm not going to go into their diagnosis. You won't understand it. And then, you know, but like they look normal. Okay. Well, do they look supposed to look different? You know? <laughs> well, yes, I have said many a time that I've had people say, well, gosh, you know, uh, Caleb doesn't, you know, seem like he has autism. And it's like, oh, cause we especially, if you part his hair on the opposite side of his head, it kind of hides autism a little bit more, you know? So it's kind of like just some of the things that people will say to you is kind of like, oh yeah. Cause you know, it's not like down syndrome where down syndrome, you know, has more obvious or apparent traits. Whereas, you know, autism affects people so differently that it's kind of like, oh, okay. So, and, and what does that look like? You know, if there was, you know, a profile for that, you know, might you tell me what that is just so that, you know, we can have this, you know, if only everybody knew, right? Well, not what's wrong with them, you know, like that's deeply personal. Like, do I want to ask you what's wrong with you? No, it's like, that's like very private information. What's wrong with them? You know, like, you know, <laughs> but I guess maybe they're trying to understand what 
autism is. I think that's what the basis is. They don't understand. So they're like, what's wrong with them? You know, but that's really deeply personal to ask someone that if you're not, if you're not like familiar with that person, you know, I completely agree. Here's one that actually, this is one that Ashley brought up and I wish she could have been here today for this podcast because, you know, we hear it so often that I thought it was so wonderful that she actually put voice to it, especially in the context. I mean, this was a special education committee, parent committee that was there with directors and special ed and some other individuals too. And she says that for for her, one of the things that is the most triggering and hurts her heart is when people thank her for being such a good advocate for her child. And I thought to myself that, you know, like on, on one hand, it's like, well, why would that be offensive? And the answer is that wouldn't it be wonderful if we lived in a world where we didn't have to constantly advocate and fight? Cause the word advocate means that we're inherently having to fight for equality, for services, for education. And, you know, while be it, it seems like such a great compliment that people could throw out there to you. It really does make you think about the fact that, you know, just having to, you know, be thanked for having to fight for our children every single day is really just culturally from a community perspective, disheartening. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. I was going to ask Michelle, how do you feel about that? When someone thanks you for advocating for your child or even other kids on the autism spectrum, does that, you know, when you put it in the context like that, does, does that have any, does that resonate with you at all? I have two different children with two different things that, you know, that I advocate for. And so uh, it, it, that's a hard one because yeah, thanks. You're welcome. You're advocating for my kids. Maybe I'm an example for them of what you should advocate for your children. I just, that's a, I don't know if I'd be naturally, I don't think I'd be offended because that's kind of a, not necessarily offended, but for me, it was like, yeah, it's a little disappointing. It's disappointing that we live in a world where we have to constantly advocate for whatever the child's needs are. So maybe just, you know, in context of that, how do you feel about that, Tanya? Honestly, I've never really have thought about that one much in the past. I would say it hasn't really bothered me, but I now kind of, you've brought a new perspective to me yeah. about like the fact that we really do have to advocate because a lot of services and different things just aren't there for our children. And we have to advocate for every little thing that they get mm-hmm. to help to help them. Yeah. Well, and that's why I wanted to bring it up because I think if anyone's listening and you put it in the context of that as well, yes, it's a, it's a nice compliment. I would prefer, I would love if we could, if we could move to a community where everything didn't require such strong advocacy because we're always taking the best interests and the needs of the child first so that we're putting it's center it's person-centered planning person-centered education all the things another one that was interesting to me is we actually had another so a lot of times we're advocating for kids to be able to participate in activities and sports clubs different things like that different community activities and it was interesting that it was actually asked to a parent who has a child with special needs whether or not anyone it was says well did anyone say that your child couldn't participate in the activity kind of a question mark and i and i think that well that's you know a, an interesting perspective it's one of those things where it's like i guess 
when you say to someone, okay, there's not necessarily overt exclusion that's going on with some of our kids, but you know, it's not that anyone is particularly saying that our kids can't participate, but because things, there's no discussions about accommodations and that there's even language around activities being fully inclusive, you know, it's really hard to feel as though your special needs child can do all the activities that are out there because they're not naturally designed for our kids. And so I'm I'm curious whether or not anybody has ever had a question like that. You know, again, you know, parents will say, oh, I just wish there was more social groups or clubs, activities. And then to have, you know, someone say, well, did anybody say your child couldn't participate? I thought, well, that's not a very friendly thing to say to anyone. Has anyone ever had that experience? I've never had that experience with that being said, but, and while my son probably could participate in certain things, he needs like different supports in place, which often aren't there. Yes. And that's the thing. Oh, Chevy is saying that she has signal now. So I'm going to have Chevy un- unmute her mic. This is Simon, actually. So um, Chevy's, Chevy's driving. So I'm going to jump in and share the same experience, if that's all right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we have a, a, a friend of ours and she's a, she's an interesting mum of, of what you would call uh, typical children in that they, you know, one of them has dyslexia, but they're both very good at sports and they're both very into everything and do everything. And I think she just struggles to understand, you know, the limitations sometimes that perhaps come with an autistic child as it relates to behavior. And as it maybe relates to, you know, what you can and cannot get that child to do uh, and how they behave. And, you know, she, she had an experience, we had an experience with her where she compared her child having dyslexia and the trauma and the grief that she went through with this child having an issue with dyslexia, which definitely is an issue that children need to deal with, but comparing it to, you know, a, a child and saying it was the same thing as the child who had autism and is either moderately or severely impacted by autism um and really trying to almost justify how she felt about her child going through what she was going through and comparing it to the experience that we were going through which kind of just made us feel a little bit like yeah you you really don't understand the difference between a child that you know at least can function normally and has challenges you can compensate for versus a child that may never lead a normal life and what that feels like to go through um, as you're trying to, you know, figure out the path, best path for, for your child. And also just some of her behaviors and how she felt like, you know, autism parents would use autistic behavior almost as an excuse for poor behavior and they wouldn't do, do enough to discipline their child and that pulling their child out of school and homeschooling them was just an excuse and a cop out <clears throat> for them not really being disciplined enough um, to parent their child. And so we spent some time, you know, kind of re-educating her on what it was really like to deal with a child that does have the challenges that, you know, Kira has or other even more impacted children have than Kira. And she still didn't really get it. And uh, so it was really difficult for us because it was frustrating for her to try and, you know, and and it it was almost like, you know, well, I see children, parents of all autistic children doing this and I just don't understand why they treat their children that way and I just don't understand why they do that and it was almost by association she was saying well I don't understand why you guys do things the way you do Mm -hmm. and associating Mm -hmm. with another parent that she had experience with so I think just going through the process of trying to help somebody almost that's 
you know, I don't want to say ignorant, but I kind of do to, to what you have to deal with and comparing it doesn't really help when you really don't experience it day in and day out. And just the way she would engage Kira in conversation, even though we would explain, Kira's not going to understand what you're saying. (laughs) So you can try and talk to her like she's a normal child. She's not going to get it. She's not going to care. Um, and, but she would ignore that. And so, you know, just that kind of disconnect was, uh, was really interesting and, 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 and difficult for us to go through. And it, it, it affected our friendship with her a little bit because, you know, just the, just the level of kind of, 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 of lack of awareness around it being different for different people. So Simon, what's interesting about what you just said is so true. And I have actually, she's a school teacher friend of mine. She's also our uh, sibling spotlight facilitator. And she talks a lot with kids, but even just, you know, bringing up even with adults talking about the difference between being sympathetic and being empathetic and that there is a big difference. And so what happens is like exactly what you're saying is people feel like they need to relate to other people by having some sort of life, life experience that is somehow in comparison to that, or it's not, well, you know, just be glad, you know, that, well, at least you have a child or, you know, just be glad that your child, you know, can, you know, some of these. And so that's like, That's like that whole sympathy, which is not really sympathy as opposed to empathy, which is just allowing people to have that moment. And it doesn't always have to be a tit for tat or a thing where you have to have something that you can compare it to like dyslexia, being a person with dyslexia, I can tell you, and then being a mom to a boy with autism, actually two boys with autism. And then also my stepson, I can tell you that dyslexia and autism are totally different. You know what I'm saying? But I can't. And that's the thing where we have to be. And so Ronnie is really wonderful in that she tries to help the kids and then also adults when she has an appropriate audience talking about how to be empathetic with people and be listeners and be present in that person's need to grieve or, you know, just even vent, if you will, and how people will get in a way, get in the way of that process because there's the, well, tomorrow will be better. Like, a, you know, Hey, well, chin up, you know, it's, it's just, it, it will be better tomorrow. And that's the thing is it really kind of takes away from that sharing piece. And I, I completely know exactly what you mean, Simon, it does impact your relationships. And I mean, what do you do about that? Here's my next question is what about backhanded compliments where people will say to you, God gives special children to special parents. How does, how has anybody had any of those backhanded? I mean, they're compliments, but it's one of those things where God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Uh, There's so many of them. And I don't know, maybe I've liked a few of them in the past because now when I'm on social media, it tends to provide a lot of those types of kind of um, those comparisons of things that you could say, or things that you could say in a better way when someone is expressing their frustration does how do people feel about some of those they're intended to be well-meaning compliments but when you're frustrated and you haven't slept in three days or you've just been dealing with nothing but tantrums how do you feel about some of those compliments that those well-meaning compliments that people are giving you that maybe actually hurt a little bit more than they help tanya i honestly so far i don't think anyone's ever made that compliment to me so <laughs> i'm not exactly sure how i would respond other than say I'd like you to live a day in my shoes (laughs) and then you can see the challenges that come along with it and at many times I feel very incapable of handling my children and oftentimes I lose patience with them and while I try my best it's very very hard and 
Yeah. I often end up having to apologize to my children sometimes for how I sometimes react. That just makes you a good mom, Tanya. Cause if mm-hmm. you can apologize to your children because you didn't have the best like parenting moment, that's like a good modeling lesson for your kids. So I have to apologize to my children a lot. So <laughs> what about you, Michelle? Oh yeah. Apologizing. That does happen. Um, you know, when they say things like you're strong or, you know, or you're so strong, I don't know how you do it. You know, it gives us a pedestal that we can never be weak. And it's just like such a, you know, that we're always having to work so hard. And, you know, we have this persona that everybody views us as, as autism parents, as you got to be strong always, you know? So it puts a lot of pressure on the parent, you know, is that you can't be weak at all and, and you can't be human at all, you know, or have moments. So especially what I, I work in the industry I work in, you know, so it's like, you know, we're all human and we do have weak moments, but they, they do say that a lot, you know, you're so strong. Yeah. Do you hear that a lot? Yeah. I hear Oh, you must be so strong. Yeah, I do hear that a lot. Or, you know, it's just one of those, like I brush it off. It's not means not much to me, but you know, I get the, um, I don't know how you do it. Yeah. that too. Like that's always what I say. And I think people genuinely are trying to be encouraging. So we try and take it in a positive way that they're just trying to, they're they're just trying to, um, you know, be a positive, try and say something encouraging or something positive. But I kind of reply with, well, we're not always that strong or, yeah, I don't know how we do it either. <laughs> but but you just do. And, you know, I, I generally think most people are just trying to be, you know, encouraging and, and try and give you a bit of a boost or recognize that they understand, you you know, you're having challenges. So try and take it in that light, really, and just embrace it that way. But it's not always easy because sometimes people say it at the wrong time and you're just like, yeah, I'm not that strong. Actually, I'm just doing the best I can and doing what anybody else would do in that situation, which is do the best for their child. So, um, I think I've gotten the comment before this is Chevy. Sorry. I think I've gotten the comment before of like, Oh, you know, special kids for special parents. And I'm, and I, like, my internal dialogue was just like, well, I don't really have much of a choice. I've just, you kind of have to just do day by day. It's not like I got to pick whether I was a special needs parent or not. I just, you get through it, but it's not, you know, it's almost like you were selected specially, but it's like, Oh, the privilege. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I would never trade my children for anything, but you can't sit there and act as though every mo- every day is this gift because some days it's just, it, it cripples you and you're to your needs. And I don't care how good you are, you know, even with Holly at the Isaac foundation there. Yeah. I feel just absolutely crippled and I don't feel like I am doing a good job. So it's that, you know, double-edged sword. Here's my question. I'm very open about, I think it's real. I personally think it's really important to share some of our challenges along with some of our successes, because again, I think it helps take those glasses off for people so that they are looking at raising how, what the experiences and the challenges and even the successes that special needs parents parents have. If you don't put it out there, if you're not sharing the good, the bad, and the ugly, then you're not providing a 
an appropriate context for our community to understand how they can be more supportive. And again, I think even, you know, sharing something like this, this is kind of an odd topic of what not to say to especially parents, because again, I think there are a lot of people out there that think that they are like, awesome, you know, raise the roof because they're so supportive and so inclusive. And yet, you know, there are still things that people can do to be more supportive, even having people say, oh, you know, Caleb is so lucky to have you as a mom. And well, you know, thank you. But do you think Tyler is also lucky that I'm his mom or Kelly? You know what I'm saying? So even some of those things where it's meant to be very positive, like on a good day, I'm like, oh, that's a nice compliment. But on the days where you're crippled and you're just barely holding it together, it's like, you know, it just is one of those things where I would love to live in a world where we wouldn't have to work so hard and fight so hard and spend so many hours doing therapies and all the things and that friendships would come easily. And then I don't have to worry about employment and education. I mean, that is so much. And so I, how do you guys feel about, you know, it's that double-edged sword. If you share only the bad and the ugly, then, you know, it, you don't want it to be a woe is me. Oh, poor Holly. Cause that's not what you're trying to do. But do you feel like there is some importance to sharing the good, the bad and the ugly so that people understand really, and, and have better perspective of how they can one have create an inclusive community, inclusive schools, inclusive friendships. Um, but then also, you know, where they can weigh, weigh in and maybe be part of some of the solutions that, you know, could improve everyone's quality of life. I tend to be pretty open and I tend to share both. And I feel like in in general, social media creates this thing where, you know, you see pictures and everyone always looks like, like this perfection of like what life is really like. And that's not always the case. And so I oftentimes will, especially I did it more a little bit during Autism Awareness Month and Acceptance Month in April, but share some of our challenges that we have as well, because it's not always like, easy and stuff. And I think it's important that for people to know our challenges so that we can have more supportive environment and community with other people. Yeah, I agree. What do you think, Michelle? I, you know, I do love it when parents share, I think it's hard to share to like your general, like Facebook friends sometimes, but sometimes there's like mom groups, you can like let it out because they're, you know, you find an environment that's more accepting or not just saying the little things that we don't really want to hear, you know, like, you know, but there's actual people that have understanding on your level. And I like to talk more with those people, you know, the mom groups or anything like that, because, you know, yeah, it's good to share and to like understand with each other. We do all go through these things. I tend to share a lot less on social media of like, yeah, we had a horrible meltdown today, you know? And so I I don't share those things. I share more of the positive, you know, just because I I try to focus on that. And I don't like looking back on my Facebook history and be like, that was a really bad day. You know, I like to look at and be like, okay, you know, this is what we did then and keep it on the positive note in that aspect. Yeah, we did that. We would take all the kids on a trip to Arizona for spring break. And you notice I posted a lot on the way down there and while we were there and then on the way home, like you, I just magically appeared back in Spokane because it was so horrible, so horrible coming back that I could not find anything. And it was just, we were overwhelmed. We were tired. We did a bigger trip than we should have, but it was one of those things where I couldn't even 
figure out a way to share like the real life of this is what autism is. You know, you go to having these great experiences and then to have it just shift on a dime. That was me. It was just like, I didn't even want to chronicle it. We just got home as best we could, hopefully without the police being involved because of some of the meltdowns that we had to deal with at some of the uh, the campsites that we stayed in and the way home. But yeah, it's, it's hard. You know, and I also feel like too, I tend to overshare because I feel like more information is better than less information. But so I I sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm an anomaly and maybe I overshare too much and, and other people think that it's maybe better to share less. What about you, Chevy and Simon? Do you guys think that sharing experiences are good? Yeah, it's, it's been interesting. A couple of experiences. One was a really positive one where we were out as a family, at um, a local cider place and there was a, a garden area and Kira was running around doing a thing and stimming away and um, she wanted to go interact with some of the other kids. And so I just walked over with with her and she was playing with the other kids. And I just explained to the other kids that she's autistic. So she may not respond to you in you know the same way. And this little girl said, she, she was probably about seven. She goes, oh, one of my friends is autistic. I totally get it. And she told me all about her experiences with her friend and that they, you know, so it was really nice that that girl already understood and knew what to expect and knew how to act around Kira and or how Kira was going to act around her just because of, you know, a positive experience she'd had with someone else. So that was, you know, really nice. It made me feel a lot more relaxed to let, let her go to play. And so that was a you know, really good experience where somebody else had already done that job for us, you know, in terms of sharing and educating and whatever else you sometimes feel like it's, you know, your job, like when we hire a sitter or something, you have to make sure they're aware of, you know, all the potential consequences of what may or may not happen. And I'm pretty sure we've terrified a couple of them in the past by maybe oversharing the potential, you know, for Kira to wander off or for her to, you know, get frustrated and what that might mean they need to do to calm her down. And But then, you know, we try and accentuate the positives at the same time about how social she is and how friendly she is and how caring she is. And so, you, you know, you try and do a bit of both where you, you know, you try not to overshare and then you try to be more selective about when you do and when you don't. And sometimes I feel like it, it doesn't matter, but I don't find myself ever feeling the need to apologize for her. It more just is the need to make sure people understand you know, why she acts the way she does sometimes. Yeah. Teachable moments. I think about, I think your question about like social media, like how much do you share or not share? I'd say I'm, I'm a little selective. Um, I definitely have days where I just need to vent. So that's probably where some of my, my posts come from. I think that was like our frozen two experience. There wasn't a whole lot of thought that went into that, except for like, I needed to just get this out because I was frustrated that that planning and time that I put into that didn't work out, but I do try to share, you know, the positive experiences when I can, but in a weird lens, we're still dealing with, you know, probably the majority of the people that we're connected with are probably still neurotypical families. And, you know, like Kara's experience of like eloping to the beach. I don't know if that's necessarily something I would want to share on a wider scale to every member friend that I have on Facebook, just because I don't know how everybody would react to that potential story. I think a lot of people would be understanding, but I also might get the odd Karen or two that's just like, oh, so you didn't have like a close eye on her or you weren't watching her or, you know, so I don't, some of those stories, I feel more comfortable sharing that within my community versus everyone. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. You're opening yourself up to be vulnerable. 
And that's hard. So I definitely see that. Taylor, you popped in kind of midway through my podcast. So I'm going to circle back to Taylor. I'm going to ask my beginning question. Today, we're podcasting on the topic of what not to say to a special needs parent or, you know, a parent of a loved one with autism. And so my question is, is that you're our self-advocate slash autism mama. And so how does this affect you both as a self-advocate, you yourself having autism? And are there things that people have said to you where you're just like, are you kidding me? Or even situations you've had with your daughter? Well, kind of being a mom and having autism on myself on top of it, kind of people telling me that what not to say to an autism mom is, is buck up. Don't say that to me. I, it's not going to go well. I'm allowed to be vulnerable. I'm allowed to, to cry. I'm allowed to eat my feelings. Sometimes I am, I'm allowed to vent, but telling me to just get over it and deal with it. it that's something you don't say. You don't yeah, want to say, you don't really, you really shouldn't say that to any mama, honestly. No, I agree. So. I would like to see you get fired up though. So do you get fired up with those people and give them a what for and a who's the what? Uh, usually I'm pretty open to people and I'm usually not very critical, but yes, when people are like that, I get a little tense. I get a little angry, especially if it comes, especially when it comes to social media, because that gets a little, because people, uh, in my experience, people get, get more brave to be critical on Facebook than in face to face. Yeah. Oh no, that's true. That's where all the Facebook trolls, the social media trolls come out. And oh man, I tell you what, you posted something the other day on social media and I just like, just about died laughing. It was so funny. Yeah. Oh, well, it, I kind of, and I kind of rethought about what I said, cause I'm kind of going, well, it, it, cause yeah, that meme, if, okay. Any other child? Yes. If it was an autistic child or a, or another special needs child, I'd definitely be more patient just so you know. Just oh, I'm going to clarify that. No, so I know. What about you? Yeah. Like when people talk to you about your autism, I know that people have said to you numerous times about, really, you have autism? I never would have known. Does that, is that like a compliment to you or does it, are you indifferent to it? It, at first I, it was a compliment and I try not to think, take things too literal. Cause I know people, you know, cause I know life's not fun. If I, if you take things too literal, I know it's, it, you know, I try not to let it eat at me too much or let it bother me after a while it gets kind of annoying to hear that because I'm like well now I'm going well does that mean you're not gonna now I'm kind of to a point where I'm like well does that mean you're not gonna take me seriously when I do need help you know and I've kind of noticed that and I don't think it's in people's and like I said I don't think it's anyone's intention to hurt me or belittle me or devalue my my uh struggles I don't think that's anyone's intention intentions however at the same time it makes me kind of feel a little sad sometimes that when I am struggling people don't take it seriously they just kind of go oh it's just a bad day or you know that's what's hard about high functioning that's is that people kind of some people take it less seriously than people on the more than those or those on the on a different spectrum I guess but but I don't, like I said, I don't think it's people's intentions to do that. It's just kind of, kind of sometimes hard mentally thinking it myself. So, well, and, and it, um, from yeah. an 
people are uneducated a bit about it. So yeah. I think the more people become educated about autism, I think that should hopefully change. But so here was my other question I asked my guests earlier, and I'm going to ask you, Taylor. One of an autism parent, a special needs parent, commented that one of her triggers that she was kind of noticing is, is that when people thanked her, like especially teachers or um, therapy providers, different things in that context, when they thanked her for being such a good advocate for her child, she was finding that she was beginning to feel triggered by that because while it is a very nice compliment, it's frustrating for her because she feels, you know, the term advocacy means that you're having to advocate and fight for something that you need, whether it's educationally, therapeutic services, whatever. And she says that she's finding that that, you know, thank you for being an advocate for your child is is becoming triggering because wouldn't it be better if we lived in a world where you didn't have to advocate so hard for everything? So how do you feel? Does that resonate with you at all? Or do you have any feelings about that? I mean, yeah, sometimes hearing that word kind of, I wouldn't say it triggers me, but it kind of annoys me because uh, I'm, because first of all, I'm a parent. That's, I'm her mom. That's my job regardless. Uh, but I shouldn't be the only one having to do it. I mean, they should be wreck. I feel like people should be trying hard to be advocates themselves. You know, they should be, everybody should be advocates, I feel like. So yeah, in, in a way, I can kind of agree with that. Not so much triggering, but just kind of as annoying, kind of like a record, you know, of hearing that over and over again. It's like, it's, I think, like, I do think it's meant to be, it's not meant to be insulting, but at the same time, it's kind of going, well, wait, shouldn't you be saying you're going to be an advocate too? Like, I want you to say that you're an advocate for my child as well. You know, I want us to both be advocates, not just me, you know, it's draining. (laughs) So. So true. I would like to sit around an IEP table at some point mm-hmm. in my life and think to myself, wow, look at all of these Caleb advocates. Yep. Wouldn't that be something? Or, you know, like, yeah. yeah, because I've been told the same thing. So, yeah. And that's the thing. And, so- I, and what's, and what makes me mad is I've been told that after getting kind of feisty, you know, and it's like, I feel like there was a, there's a t- time and chance to say that. And like when I feel like my child's being done wrong, I don't want them to say things for being an advocate. I want them to say, I understand where you're coming from. We will work to change that. That's what I want to hear. Yeah. It's, yeah. You're working to find way, ways to make my daughter's learning environment atmosphere more positive for her. That's what I want to hear. I don't want to hear, oh, you're such a great advocate. Like, it's almost like some, t- some of these people get kind of, you know, excited when like, they, it's like they want us to put, I, I don't want to be, push to the pushing point where they're seeing that side of me. I just want them to naturally do what's best for my child, help me do what's best for my child. I don't want to be fighting this battle on my own. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, now we're rounding the point of the, the podcast where I'm going to ask for final thoughts. Tanya, do you have any final thoughts for people that are listening about, you know, the things, what not to say to a special needs parent, anything that we've forgotten or I didn't lead into so that you could mention? I can't really think of anything else. I mean, I don't get upset very easily. I kind of take what other people say with a grain of salt, but yeah. And I certainly don't want to stigmatize people's good efforts and good intentions yeah. to try and say, oh, like these are just absolutely horrible things. I think that the real takeaway from from this is that, you know, you have to in order to truly understand 
what it's like raising a child with special needs. You really do have to walk in our shoes. And sometimes it just feels like people could try a little harder to see, you know, more of what. And I don't think, I think some people don't know exactly what to say. So I don't think, I think most people are well-intentioned in what they do say. And I think part of it comes from really not being sure what to say. Yeah. What, so that's a good question. What would be better things to say? So if, you know, I would say if I had to list things that people could say to me, if you don't have anything that you can relate to me on one of the ones I get all the time is, Oh, I know someone with autism or has a, I have, I know someone that has a child with autism. Do you know this person, this person or that person? And it's kind of like, okay, it's a big enough community that we don't all know each other. Um, so, you know, to start with that, but things instead of, I would just love for someone to say, you know, tell me about that. Like how can can I, is there anything that I can do, you know, when we're camping, you know, is there anything that we can do to like help or that we could be considerate of to make your trip easier or, you know what I mean? As opposed to, you know, or even asking, you know, tell me more about autism. I admit that I don't know much about it. And, you know, th- th- to me, that would be much, much better than trying to find some positive, you know, antidotal you know, tidbit of, you know, like a a compliment as opposed to, I would prefer someone just to ask me more about autism. Yes. I, I also prefer like the honesty and I'm going to use an example of, um, my youngest son's a second grade teacher. I know. So I have a friend whose son has down syndrome. He's older now, but he had my son's second grade teacher back when a long time ago, when he was for his general education when he would go in there and she was very honest with my friend saying, you know, I've never had a child with down syndrome and stuff. So what can you tell me? And like, she was just very open. She didn't pretend to like know it all or anything. She wanted to learn more. And I really do appreciate people who come with that perspective. Like, you know, can I want to know more because I can honestly say, I don't know much. I agree. What about you, Taylor? Anything that you, um, any final thoughts or things that people could say as an alternative if in the event that they don't feel like they have anything to offer that things that they could say instead, if they're searching for a way to relate to you? I guess just, I kind of agree with just asking me whatever they can, whatever they can do to help me or, you know, basically the, a person's way of getting past my bubble of me socializing is I'm here for you. I'm not going to judge any, anything you're going to say. I'm not going to judge wh- how you're feeling. That's more than anything. That's what's going to win me over. So. Yeah, I agree. Is someone willing to understand me regardless or try to understand me? Yeah. What about you, Michelle? Do you have any final thoughts or things that you could offer people to as alternatives to say to a special needs parents that would be more helpful? You know, I think that you know, there's, like you said, don't judge. I think that that's a really big one. You know, when you see somebody in the store having a really rough time with their child, don't be that person that judges, you know, see if there's any way you can help, you know, sometimes people have another child, you know, see if you can help somebody that's having a hard time rather than judge. And I always find rather than judging is include their child and you know, if you have children and you're like, oh, she has a child, same age. Why don't we include their child? Yeah, they have autism, but let's include them in our activities. Be that parent that's like not outing somebody because they have a child that's different, but be a parent that's including others, you know, be kind and, you know, empathy and listen, you know, rather than judge. 
I think that'd be important to be in a parent that's saying things, you know, or yeah. knows somebody that has a child with autism, you know? Yeah. Agreed. I would say too, um, a lot of times, as soon as people find out that Caleb has autism or Cooper has autism, like they don't necessarily like interact with them the same way. So I would say, you know, just, you know, like greet them, you know, introduce yourself, you know, even though Cooper may not respond back because he doesn't have, he's a man of very few words. Just, I always appreciate when people say, hi, Cooper, my name is, you know, Anne. And, you know, again, you can tell pretty quickly that Cooper is significantly you know, impacted by his autism. I always just really, to me, that means so much that they've taken the time to introduce themselves just because it just is an acknowledgement as we, I see that you're here and, you know, that introduction, even of themselves now is Cooper going to remember what their name is No, but he will remember the make and model of the car that they drive. So, and that is important too. That has value. Um, Kristen, you have been listening in. Do you have anything? Uh, I hope I didn't miss you or there was something that you wanted to contribute. I, I am here. No, I'm just, this is just so wonderful. And I'm so excited to go back and listen to all 104 of your other podcasts. <laughs> oh my goodness. We're up to 104, everybody. Give everybody a round of applause because a lot of these ladies are on multitude of those podcasts. You guys just have such amazing voices. And I love, I love to hear what you have to say. And it's been so helpful for me. Thank you. Well, and I think that that's really important. So if you're listening to this podcast and you ever have an interest in participating, I would say reach out because every person, every person's perspective is important. And the whole point of this is to get just different perspectives on these different topics so that everybody has, since everyone has a different perspective, it's nice to know that you're maybe not alone out there and how you feel or how you're handling a situation with your child. So I think there's a lot of value in that. So. Well, thank you guys for joining me. We lost Chevy and Simon because they're um, road traveling at the moment. So we couldn't get any of their final thoughts. But anyway, I just wanted to thank you guys for joining us for another episode of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.